Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, August 22nd, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Working from Bristol today is Sarah Abbott. I'm Buster Only, working from my family home in Lake George. And working from the Schwink Studios is Taylor Schwink. Taylor, I went on vacation and, you know, I mean, for all I would always say, you're working from your home studio in the foothills of Connecticut. And then on the uh, uh, link that we got today to tape on Zoom, it popped up the Schwink Studios. What's that about? Buster, I'm an audio professional and, you know, we call it the home studio down here at my house. My wife and I, we call my office the studio. I've got a bunch of screens and mics and lots of gizmos and doodads so i thought we should give it an official title i have this little thing behind me here that where it says schwink studios it pops up along with baseball scores so that's fun it's very official over here in the schwink household well uh you know what sarah i want you to come up with an official name from wherever you are because i feel like that we need to work at the same level i don't want to feel like i'm being overwhelmed by the schwink studios um well currently i am in control room e you need like something Abbott amphitheater how about that but it has to be the abbott amphitheater yeah you know how about that okay we we love a good alliteration right exactly (laughs) and so i'll be working on mine as well uh, over the next week Uh, before we move forward i want to thank tim kirkjian sarah langs jeff passan for filling in on the podcast last week i had a great vacation uh, and I must say, I didn't watch a lot of baseball. I watched a ton of baseball on Sunday down at Williamsport. We had the Little League Classic, Orioles and the Red Sox. It was a fun day. The major league teams flying into Williamsport, met by Little Leaguers. Got a ton of stories uh, coming up with Tim Kirkchin about the, the interplay, the byplay between the Little Leaguers and the major leaguers. We were concerned during the afternoon that this game was going to be rained out. But a great job by Major League Baseball staff, Murray Cook, getting the field and playing condition. It was 2-1 to one Orioles, top of the eighth inning, when this happened. The pitch swing and is a shot. Deep to left, racing back Stowers. It's over his head. That ball's gone. Home run. A wicked line drive that barely got over the high wall in left field, and that has tied the ball game. And that was Dave O'Brien on ESPN Radio. But the Orioles, as has been their uh, habit this year, came back in the bottom of the eighth inning. Bases filled with Orioles and the pitch. Swing, hot shot, ground ball, fair inside third, down the line. In to score McKenna. Here comes Hayes in to score. Odor rumbling around third. Here's the throw home. He dives. He is safe at the plate. Mateo cleans him off here in the eighth inning. And Baltimore leads it 5-2. to two. And they would go on to win the game 5-3. to three. The Orioles continue to be a factor in the American League East, in the American League wildcard race. It was an interesting weekend for the Yankees on Saturday. Aaron Boone, after another Yankees lost, uh, seemed to lose his temper a little bit, slammed a table. We're going to be talking about that with Tim coming up. Uh, and then on Sunday, they faced the Blue Jays again. Aaron Judge was at the plate. Alec Manoa on the mound. And this is what happened. And he gets plumped. And Judge thinks that that was on purpose with first base open. Boy, that would be some heavyweight battle. He's waving the team back. And Garrett Cole is barking at Manoa as well. And now Judge is walking back toward Manoa. And all things 
Seems civil, but with first base open, it, it begs to wonder. That was Michael Kay on the Yes Network with that call. Yeah, so Aaron Judge was hit by a pitch, and Aaron Judge, you know from his history, he didn't react that much to either umpires or opposing pitchers, but he wasn't happy because the second pitch that had been thrown inside by Alec Manoa, Garrett Cole popped out of the Yankee dugout, uh, moved about 15 feet in front of the dugout, was barking at Manoa. This was something that was talked about after the game. But before that, Andrew Benintendi got a big hit for the Yankees. Drill deep to right field. There it goes. See ya. Benintendi, a two-run home run. His first blast is a Yankee. It's 4-2 Yanks. And that would be the final score after the game. Yankees manager Aaron Boone was asked about what happened with Judge Manoa. Division rivals, you know, little motions get going a little bit. Um, two competitors, not much. He was asked if he thought the pitch was intentional. You already talked to Garrett? No, but the way he charged out of the dugout is kind of suggestive. Doesn't mean it's intentional. He doesn't like, doesn't like our guy getting drilled that the intentional sometimes you know we we get caught up in this intentional thing like if it's not intentional then fine you know sometimes i we have a different take on that when your dude gets hit usually get your attention so i don't think it was intentional alec manoa spoke to the reporters after the game and mentioned what garrett cole did <sighs> been struggling with my sinker for about five six starts now and um, I made a pitch and uh, obviously hit Judge and obviously uh, I looked at him and I said, man, you know, I'm not trying to do that. And I think he understood that. And um, I think if Garrett wants to do something, he can walk past the Audi side next time. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. And for Josh Bell, it was a big day on Sunday. He was facing his former team, the Nationals, the Padres have been struggling. We're losing one nothing in the bottom of the sixth inning, and this happened. Corbin checks the runner, Drury, and fires home. Yeah. And line drive, right field. This ball's got a chance to the porch. Out of here! You can ring my bell anytime, anywhere. Ring, 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 ring. Josh Bell going opposite field to the Petco porch. Two-run shot. And the Padres take a 2-1 lead. Yeah, I think that was Mud Grant, if I recognize the voice correctly. But the Padres win the game 2-1. The Braves had a really good Friday and Saturday against the Astros as they continue to play well. On Sunday, the Astros punch back with help from Kyle Tucker. And Tucker hits it sharply and through the shift and in the right center for a base hit. Alvarez around third. He will score. The ball is dropped by Heredia and right. The brakes are put on at third by Bregman. Tucker goes in the second, gets it just ahead of the throw, and the Astros lead it 3-2. to two. On their way to a 5-4 to four victory. So there was opportunity for the Mets, who faced the Phillies and played an unbelievable game in game two of the doubleheader. Alec Bohm was having a huge day for the Phillies. The pitch. Swing and a drive deep down the right field line. Marte turns, looks, it is off the pole. It's gone. And Alec Bohm with his second three-run homer of the day. That was Scott Fransky, Sports Radio 94 WIP. But you know what? The Mets would come back. First pitch to Kenna. 
That's driven in the air. That's deep to left. Veerling is back near the wall toward the corner and is gone. Home run. Marcana ties the game. It's a three-run homer in the top of the seventh. And then in the bottom of the eighth inning, the Phillies took the lead again. Trevor May delivers, and a pitch swung on, line to left. It's pretty deep. Canna turns. He looks up, and it is gone! Gene Segura leaping in the air around first base. Throws a fist in the air, loses the helmet. He's put the Phillies on top with a pinch hit home run. It just got over the wall, and the Phillies lead it 8-7. to seven. David Robertson wanted to close out the game for the Phillies. But it wasn't to be. Robertson delivers. Swing and a drive. Well hit to left. Back goes Mayton. She is gone. Do you believe this? The Mets have done it again. They take the lead. Mark Hanna with his arms raised over his head between first and second as he rounds the bases with a second home run of the game. McNeil scores in front of them. The New York Mets have taken a 9-8 lead here in the top of the ninth inning. Edwin Diaz can throw seriously now. Canna and McNeil embrace at home plate. And this Mets team, wherever they wind up in 2022, just don't disappoint. They've got drama in their back pockets night after day after day after night. Unbelievable 9-8 New York. Those are words from Howie Rose, who's seen his share of drama during the course of his long career. What a great call. Uh, Edwin Diaz did hold on. The Mets win 10-9. Their leads at the end of the day on Sunday at four games in the National League East. This looks like the best race coming down the stretch. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, got to mention 30 for 30 podcast. They are presenting the longest game in the spring of 1981. The Pawtucket Red Sox and the Rochester Red Wings met for a minor league game over the course of 33 innings. The two teams would make history. This episode features archival sound and accidental treasure trove of the game's play-by-play broadcast and interviews with those who experienced it firsthand. You can listen to that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcast. That sounds quite enticing. They do a great job over at 30 for 30 podcast and also this might be the first mention of this publicly but we have a new podcast on the roster the espn college game day podcast which will be produced by yours truly as well as sarah abbott very exciting three days a week monday wednesdays and fridays with reese davis pete thamel all of your favorites from college game day and bill Connolly on Fridays to help them make picks. He's their number guy. He's their Sarah Langs. He is their Hembo, and he's going to bring a whole different perspective to the podcast. So I'm very excited about this, Buster. What Are you excited for us over here? Congratulations. No wonder why you were renamed the Schwink Studios. Yeah, you know? big time over uh, here. Uh, you need more than one at this point. So I, <laughs> I expect there are at least, at least four or five different rooms. Mm-hmm. There's probably uh, you know video being taped in one, Music video being taped with one. Somebody's cutting an album someplace. Uh, Then, of course, you got the podcast going at the Schwenk Studios. Congratulations. (laughs) For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call Click Granger.com or just stop by. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority. 
especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkshen. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkshen covers baseball for ESPN. He is in Williamsport. I'm up in Lake George. And Tim, I just got to ask you, did you speak to your guy, the president, last night? You know, I didn't. I I didn't. I couldn't get to him. Um, I had baseball tonight when he was kind of available, so I couldn't leave the desk. And then I had to do the radio game last night, so I couldn't leave my post there either. He was about 15 feet away from me several times, and I never got a chance to say hi. Keep in mind, Buster, he was the owner of the Rangers. When I lived in Texas, I was at the ballpark all the time, and he was there all the time. So I knew him first as the owner of the Rangers, then the governor, then the president, and he's a <laughs> he loves the game. I mean, he really loves baseball, and we saw that last night. Yeah, I was going to say that 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 uh, absolutely has always jumped out to me. Like he has sincere enjoy uh, draws so much out of the out of baseball, you know. And it was neat that he was there last night. You could see like his excitement and talking with some of the kids and the players and some of the stats. He was throwing a ravi during the course of our broadcast last night. I thought for sure you'd talk him into coming to the radio booth last night where you were working. Well, we didn't get that opportunity, unfortunately. Uh, he tells great baseball stories and he really understands the game. And uh, it's really such, it's such a pleasure to be around somebody who loves the game as much as he does. He asked Carl Ravish today, he said, um, Hey, that kid from South Dakota, how's he doing? This is the South Dakota kid who completely dominated here last year. So he knows who the 12 year olds are too. It, it's really fun to watch, to see how much he loves baseball. And if I may, went to the White House once. We got a guided tour, and one of the aides walks by a room, and he goes, that's where the president watches his favorite show, Baseball Tonight. And we said, oh, come on, it's one of his favorite shows. No, 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 that's his favorite show. He goes into that room, sits alone, and watches Baseball Tonight. So have you been in the Oval Office? Yes, he took us in there one night. Uh Uh-huh. It was really cool. I could tell you an hour-long story, but I'm not. <laughs> right. So tell me about your favorite scene. I mean, that to me is the what makes the, the Little League Classic the best, the major leaguers dropping in, flying in, uh, being around the minor leaguers. Tell me a, a favorite Little League scene that you saw yesterday. Well, I saw Alex Cora go down the hill, not once, but twice, but three times. And the first time he went head first and went flying off of the piece of cardboard. And the point is, it's been a difficult year for the Red Sox. And Alex told me last night, he said, this is one of the 
greatest baseball days that I've ever had. And I don't think it got off to a great start. But once he started to engage with the kids, he recognized how great it was. And then he got to speak to those kids from Puerto Rico who are so near and dear to his heart. Because as you know, Buster, the entire Little League in Puerto Rico was essentially started by Alex's father. So there's a, there's a real engagement there. And uh, he told the kids, look, you know, I was at the top of the world in 2018 when we won the World Series. And I was way at the bottom in 2020 when he was suspended. So not only did he have these wonderful moments with these kids. He passed along a pretty good, you know, lesson that you can be really high and really low, but you got to get yourself back up. So I think Alex's entire day at the little league uh, world series was my standout. I think for me, it was the fact that Dylan Tate, who of course uh, pitched for the Orioles, uh, part of their terrific uh, pitching staff, uh, asking Jaron Lancaster, the star player from Hawaii, for his autograph. And to hear that story from Dylan's perspective, uh, Carl Ravitch and I stopped by his locker before the game on Sunday, and uh, Dylan was basically saying, yeah, he, he's the truth. Like, right. you can tell that they all think he's going to wind up playing in the big leagues at some point. So he asked Jaron for his autograph. What I thought was funny, and this is in no way a disrespect to a big leaguer, it's just a you know a twelve year old only has so much space to pay attention to what's going on in the big leagues. I don't think he knew who Dylan was. I thought that was really kind of cool. Right. Well, that, that that's going to happen once in a while. So I also loved yesterday. I talked to Keegan Aiken, uh, who went down the hill for the Orioles, and he went down in this sea of humanity down the hill. There must have been 100, 100 people in a very small area. Keegan told me, he said, I underestimated the hill. I didn't realize it was that steep and that high. And he goes, I got about halfway down and thought, should I really be doing this? But he made it all the way down. He made it safely, and everyone was healthy, which is all that matters. I don't know how your broadcast was on radio. I felt like our, our broadcast on tele television was basically a celebration of the Orioles' season so far. Uh, you know, they're playing the Red Sox, uh, who are you know theoretically in contention for the wild card in the American League. But so much of what we talked about was the surprise of this year's team. And I got to say, just being around the team and talking with guys, I, it's almost like that they're putting blinders on, not listening to any conversation. They're just having fun. And the way Brandon Hyde described this team to us, he said, this is as good a group of guys they've ever been around. We've never had a head of a team meeting, never have had to address anything. These guys are just enjoying each other and just surprising everybody along the way. I don't think they necessarily – I think if you were to give them true serum, that they would necessarily believe that this is a you know a big building block. If they win 84 games this year, they win 96 next year. I think they're just enjoying 2022, Tim. Yeah, they are. And Brandon Hyde was talking to us about Robinson Chirinos and yeah. Rugnet Odor, how they've been a real energy source for the team. Two veteran players. He said, this is the loudest dugout I've ever been in. And as you said, he said, this is the best clubhouse I've been in since my days in Chicago, which, of course, was a world championship team as a coach with the Cubs. So, uh, look, the Orioles are a pretty good team now, Buster. Their starting pitching is above average. Their bullpen is really good right now. And we saw they can put the ball in play once in a while. They have some speed. They have some power. And Boo Powell, one of the great Orioles ever, said – 
that he went to Brandon Hyde and said, God, I love watching you guys play. You are so much fun. And that's kind of the, the story of the Orioles. Big surprise and a whole lot of fun to watch. I really hope that they promote Gunnar Henderson uh, as soon as possible. You know, you've seen the, the news in recent days. They've been moving him around, playing him at first base, playing him at second base, uh, you know, probably preparing him for like a super utility role. Bring him up, right? I mean, you have a real chance to make the playoffs. Uh, I would think at this point, Throw as many uh, you know weapons in Brandon Hyde's uh, you know at his disposal as possible. Yeah, he played first base the other day, which again, this is a great idea. And sometimes a young guy in the middle of a pennant race can make a difference. Remember when the Orioles called up Manny Machado his rookie year? That they just took off as soon as he showed up. Even though he only played one position, he played it so well. And Gunnar Henderson has a chance to be a star in the big leagues. And, you know, Jorge Mateo is their everyday shortstop, but he could also be a great utility guy playing all over the field. So, sure, if you got a chance to win, you should take it now. All right. The play that Brian Mountcastle made at first base was uh, I want to hear your perspective on that uh, on that uh, interception he have of a ground ball that seemed to be absolutely uh, headed for right field. Yeah, the smile on his face was priceless after that. It was almost a smile like, uh, that's the best play I've ever made as a first baseman, and I think it was. On the broadcast last night, we agreed it was the best play we saw a first baseman make this season. I mean, that ball was smoked, and the ball was by him, it seemed like, and he still got to it. And got the out. That was really impressive. All right. What uh, before we move on and talk about the Yankees weekend? Tell me what uh, what you think about the Red Sox. So what, I, what I said on our broadcast last night was, if they f- somehow find their way into the playoffs, it's going to be because they're starting pitching, because of Michael Waka, you know, Pavetta being consistent, other guys stepping up. Because Tim, I don't have a lot of hope for their offense changing from what it is now. No, I don't either. I mean, JD Martinez is one homer since June the fourteenth. Xander Bogarts hit a homer last night, but he has really struggled in the power end of the game. They're just not the same offensive team. Their starting pitching is better, but it's not good enough. We saw the bullpen labor last night. I mean, that was a game that they basically had to win. They had to win that series, get to 500, go home and play the Blue Jays. And not only did they not win, they kind of gave the game away with a couple walks and a hit batter in the bottom of the eighth. That was a bad loss for the Red Sox and I would be at this point really surprised if they made the playoffs. Yeah, they're not going very well, but the Yankees are going worse, as you know. Uh, And on Saturday, after another loss, another frustrating game in which the offense struggled again, Aaron Boone uh, reacted uncharacteristically. Here was Booney after Saturday's game. And the great thing is, it's right in front of us. It's right here, and we can fix it. It's right here. It's there, and we can we can run away with this thing. And we got the dudes in there to do it. We got to do it. You know, we, we, if we don't score, tough to win. So, Tim, you've known Aaron Boone a long time. I have as well. Worked with him on Sunday Night Baseball. What was your read of that moment? Yeah, I'm. I've never seen him act that way. You know, he's such a fun, playful guy. And obviously, the frustration of this season has gotten to him. And that was very much out of character. I've never seen him that angry before, but you know, I don't blame him, Buster. This is a historic situation here. As you know, they're the only team in major league history to play over 700 baseball for the first 60 games and then under 500 baseball for the next 
60 games. No one's ever done that before. And they they got four runs yesterday, but in their previous 11 games, they scored 21 runs, the Yankees. And their defense hadn't been very good like it had been most of the year. Starting pitching and bullpen struggled here and there. Um, I would be angry, too, if I were Aaron Boone because I'm sure the frustration has really gotten to him. I'm sure you get asked the question because you know him uh, just as I have about you know his his reactions in the dugout and his emotions that he showed. Because um, most of the time, as we say, he's very glass half full personality. He doesn't really lose his temper except with the umpires. Uh, and I tell people all the time, look, there's someone who's really competitive in there. And I always tell the story about how when he watches USC football, uh, at least when he uh, was on Sunday Night Baseball, he would never watch with any of us. He wanted to be alone because he knew he had this rage of emotion that would be out there. But that said, Tim, I almost felt like there was a little bit of 10% um, acting is too strong of a word, but like 10% a little bit of putting on the show, kind of like he does when he, he challenges an umpire because he wanted to make a point to his players through the media. And I felt the same way yesterday watching Garrett Cole come out of the dugout after Aaron Judge uh, was hit by a pitch by Alec Manoa. I don't think Booney was quite as angry as he demonstrated the other day, and I don't think Garrett Cole was ready to fight Alec Manoa yesterday. What about you? Yeah, good point. Back to Booney for one second. I remember I did a game from the booth several years ago in between hop for the third baseman, and I said, that's a really tough play for the third baseman. And Booney's watching the game at home, texts me, and is like yelling at me in the text. He said, it's not a hard play. He turned that into a hard play because he played it incorrectly. So he does certainly have a side to him where when things go poorly, he's going to correct you and yes. quickly. That's exactly what he did to me. I probably deserved it. So I don't think people should look and see, you know, how nice a guy he is out in front with the media. I promise you he's in the clubhouse saying, what are you guys doing? Let's go. And as for Cole, yeah, I think there was, you know, there was a little bit of, of uh, theatrics there, certainly, on running out there and making a point. But, Buster, it goes back to what what some baseball old-timers will tell you, that a good dust-up, even a good yell, will, uh, will really invigorate a team. We'll see if it does any good for the Yankees. Yeah, uh, and I think the pressure they're all feeling probably is reflected in the fact that at this uh, pregame ceremony yesterday, retiring the number 21 of Paul O'Neill, Hal Steinbrenner Brian Cashman got booed. I mean, how many games? The Yankees are on a pace to win like 96 games, and the the owner of the team, who's got one of the highest payrolls in baseball, and the general manager of the team, they're getting booed on the field. And so that probably, uh, you know, is part of what uh, Aaron Boone was feeling over the weekend, part of what Garrett Cole is feeling. Real quick on on Paul O'Neill, who I covered for four years. I love covering him. Uh, He's so much fun because of his intensity. But I got to tell you, Compared to other Yankee players in the past that have had their numbers retired, I was surprised the Yankees chose to retire 21. I I, I just, it, he's not a Hall of Famer. And so many of those guys who've had their numbers retired are Hall of Famers. What about you? Well, I hadn't given him much thought. I just assumed, well, he was an integral part of some great teams in New York. Yep. So he deserves to have his number retired. I think it's so interesting that it was as much his attitude and his character as much as his play on the field, meaning he's so intense 
and he wants to win so badly. I think that had something to do with this. And and I loved being around him also. I didn't cover him every day like you did, Buster, but I've always found that Paul O'Neill was the worst interview ever when you had to, <laughs> when you had to talk to him about himself. However, he was the best interview ever when you want to talk about something else in baseball. He's totally fascinating. I once asked him, why are all the greatest throwing outfielders right-handed? Roberto Clemente, Dave Parker, Ellis Valentine, Jesse Barfield, and very, very few of the greatest ever are left-handed. Why is that? He was fascinated. He was intrigued. And I sat with him and talked about 15 minutes about that because he loves to talk baseball and he hates to talk about himself. You know, when I was on the beat, uh, if he went three for three with two homers and they won the game, you couldn't find him. And if he went 0 for 5 with three strikeouts and he made an error, he'd be waiting in the by his locker right after the game to talk with reporters. Like, he absolutely was accountable. And, you know, when I, I wrote a book about the 2001 World Series and about the Dynasty team, I chose to end the book with O'Neill walking out of the Yankee Stadium because I thought he was that important to those teams. Um, you know, my my thing was, I think, in retiring his number is that, you know, with O'Neill's number being retired and like a, a guy like Tommy Henrik, you know, um, uh, the, to me, you start to move down a level in terms of where the Yankees have been in retiring their numbers. That's why it surprised me a little bit that they well, uh, that they did that. Well, we've both talked about the intangibles that come with Paul O'Neill. I think that's one reason they retired his number. All right, so I'm going to give you three developments from over the weekend and ask you which of these three you think is most impactful when we talk about playoffs. Tampa Bay Rays shortstop Wanda Franco was removed from his rehab assignment because he continues to have ongoing hand soreness. Uh, the Phillies placed closer Sir Anthony Dominguez on the 15-day injured list with a with tricep tendonitis. And three, the Padres removed from the closer role uh, Josh Hader, who of course one of their was 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 one of their big acquisitions before the trade deadline. Of those three, what do you think is most impactful based on what we're going to see the rest of the season? Well, I'm going to go with Franco for this reason. He's a critical player for their team. I thought he was their best player in the postseason last year, and that's one reason they did as well as they did. And I don't think they can be a truly, truly dangerous team in October without him because they really need the offense because that is not a good offensive team. The fact that he was, you know, shut down a bit and it's a wrist injury buster. I mean, you start messing with the hitters, wrists and hands and all that. That's a really bad sign. So I think that's the most impactful one because I just don't think they can be the team they want to be in September, in October without him. Cause I think he's their best player when he plays. I, I totally agree with you. I know Josh Hader, the, the removal of him from the closers role with the Padres got the most attention. But I was during our broadcast last night after Schreiber you know, gave up those runs in the eighth inning, we went to commercial and I said to uh, the other guys in the broadcast off air, hey, wasn't it a month ago that Clay Holmes and Schreiber were considered to be two of the best relievers in baseball? This just seems to be the life of relievers these days, Tim, where you just yeah. go up and down and, and you're not quite sure exactly – when uh, the ascension, the the de- you know the decline is going to come. Well, just like any other pitcher, you know they're prone to slumps and everything else. And with the use they get and the importance on the team, it's it's only a matter of time before a closer finally ha- has some issues. And haters have been enormous. And Clay Holmes got hurt, and Schreiber's been their 
a really good pitcher and was really bad last night. So, yeah, you you overused uh, relievers enough, and I'm not suggesting they're overused, but with the, with the role they have now, it's only a matter of time before one of them gets knocked around a little bit. It's August 22nd. Is it too soon to talk about a magic number? Uh, yeah, it's too soon. I mean, well, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> well, of course, you're going to talk about it. I think you got to get to 81 wins before you can start talking magic number about anything. And of course, the Dodgers are there, but they're the only one. So I'll I'll go along with this, but I think we need to get a little closer before we get to a magic number. The Dodgers' magic number with 10 days left, uh, 10 playing days in the month of October is 23, okay, which means they're going to clinch probably in the first week of September the way they're going. Tim, their run differential is now at plus 264. We talked about Paul O'Neill before. He was part of that amazing Yankees team in 1998. Their run differential that season was plus 309. It looks like the Dodgers are going to obliterate that number. They might wind up uh, having one of the best run differentials in the history of baseball by the end of the season. I don't know who's going to slow them down. Yeah, they're so good. They're 15-3 the second half of the season. They have an elite defense. They're leading the league in ERA by over a half a run. They're the highest-scoring team in the National League. And they got Dustin May back the other night with five scoreless with nine strikeouts. They are so good right now. The record for run differential is a plus 411 by the 1939 Yankees. A plus 411 in 154 game season. Dodgers aren't going to break that, I promise you. But what they're doing now is just remarkable. They are playing as well as any Dodger team that I've ever seen and they I've been covering baseball for over 4 decades. So I don't know what's going to happen the rest of this year. I think that's been fairly well demonstrated by the fact I picked the Blue Jays to win the World Series, uh, and I had the Orioles winning uh, under 62 and a half. I don't think those things are going to work out. I will give you this prediction. The most pressure-packed first-round wildcard round is going to be the series between the team that finishes second in the National League East, which is at the moment is the Braves. Uh, it could, in the end, wind up being the Mets, and against the team that they will play, which is probably either going to be the Padres, the Phillies, or the Brewers. Would you agree with me on that? Because that, to me, is going to be the best series. Yes, I would agree with you on that, because if it's the Mets or the Braves, those teams are playing so well right now. I mean, the three best teams in baseball might be in the in the National League right now with the Dodgers, Mets, and Braves, and one of them is going to go in as a wild card. It's going to be fascinating to watch, and that whole National League is going to be a free-for-all because the Cardinals have now won seven games in a row, and suddenly they're looking pretty good. It's going to be a great National League playoff, to say the least. So I want to double-check this. You are, as we've established, you are in Williamsport. You're doing Little League broadcast. Uh, sources tell me that you had a 9 o'clock broadcast on Sunday, and you were at the Little League field by 6.30 a.m. on a day that, for you, lasted until about 11 p.m. Is that accurate? That is accurate. I was at the complex at 6.30 in the morning for a nine o'clock little league game. Oh, and then I got back to my hotel room at about close to midnight last night. But look, Buster, when you do a little league game, it takes enormous preparation because you don't know who the players are. I had two teams I hadn't done before and there's a lot of reading to do and a lot of prep work to do. So yes, I, that was a 6.30 to about an 11.30 day. What were you doing at 6.30 in the morning? <laughs> 
Were well, you sitting in the booth and reading up notes, or were you down on the field waiting for guys to come out to stretch and batting practice and the whole thing? I was going through my notes, and then I was doing all my major league stuff because I had baseball tonight yesterday, too. Can't just ignore what happened in baseball on Saturday when you have to do a show on Sunday night. So I had a big day yesterday, and fortunately, I got through it in one piece. Well, unfortunately. Uh, we had you on the show today. And I will note uh, that uh, when we were in Brandon Hyde's office, there was a chair left for you open because you're the Hall of Famer. (laughs) That was not the case. It was you being very considerate and offering it to me, not because of anything else. Thank you, Buster. All right, Tim. Thank you. All right. Enjoy the rest of your vacation, even though you work during your vacation. It's wonderful. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing? I am doing great. I feel like I'm still riding the high from the Little League Classic last night. I mean, such an amazing game. You did such a great job. I love those interviews with the kids, like the two kids from the hit-by-pitch talking about how they're tired of talking about it. I mean, that is peak, you know, 12-year-old right there. It was. There was so much about that, you know, and I've, I've got two kids. And so I, I was got a chance in all the cases of the interviews on Sunday night, got a chance to do sort of have a conversation going into the interview. Uh, and in the last uh, person I talked to, uh, Jackson Maravich, he, it was very funny because as we were sitting there waiting, you know, I had heard that he has this electric personality and initially a couple of the answers when I asked him about it, which major leaguer he, he had hung out with, he kind of looked at me with a shrug and said, 
eh, I saw Xander Bogarts. He didn't really seem that into it. And then I asked him the question, this was off air, just in having a conversation with him. I'm like, hey, I hear you're really good at these interviews. What uh, what makes you good? And he said, yeah, I think I like to be famous. <laughs> just amazing. I mean, well, these kids, so funny. It was. And, and so it was fun to you know, to sort of tap into that. And and how about the kid from Hawaii dropping in the word flabbergasted? Oh my gosh. That was my favorite thing. That wonderful moment, him and Dylan Tate, Dylan Tate asking for his autograph and then hits recapture and Lancaster saying, oh yeah, I was flabbergasted in that moment. I mean, these kids are so precious. I love it. Yeah. I was talking with a friend from Vanderbilt uh, after first off, uh, you know, I had a conversation with him when that interview was over. I said, what do you want to do? And he said, up, oh, you know, play baseball, play college. Uh, and I said, yeah, I went to Vanderbilt and he looked at me with the biggest eyes. You played at Vanderbilt. I'm like, no, <laughs> I didn't play at Vanderbilt, but I was texting with someone from Vanderbilt last night, basically saying, yeah, this kid's probably coming your way. If he can do flabbergasted <laughs> at age 12 and he's that good, he's going to, he'll wind up, uh, maybe at, uh, at, at Vanderbilt. So, all right. Uh, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is three. So on Saturday, Albert Pools hit two home runs. It is the third time this year that he has had a multi-homer game. That is the most multi-homer games in a season for any player at age 42 or older. Barry Bonds in 07 had two, and Carlton Fisk in 91 had two. And, you know, entering the year, I was thinking, no way, no way that he's actually going to get to 700. But the way the Cardinals have been deploying him against lefties, now we're looking at 692 and somehow, you know, August 22nd, it's feeling maybe possible, which is so, so cool. Number two. Number two is 448. So Riley Green hit a 448-foot homer off Shohei Otani to lead off the game on Sunday. That was the Tigers' longest leadoff home run tracked by StatCast. It was also the longest home run that Otani has allowed in Major League Baseball, Mm. surpassing a 430-foot homer by J.P. Crawford. So it broke that by a decent amount. And it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, Tony would rather not allow the home run, but it's pretty cool that he has hit 440-foot home runs and allowed them. I mean, there's not many guys who can say that. Number one. Number one is two. So in a very crazy game in Philadelphia on Sunday, the Mets ended up winning. This was a game that started at 135 and almost ended after all of the West Coast games. It was a very slow game from the beginning. Then there was a rain delay. It had everything, including Mark Hanna hitting a three-run game-tying homer in the seventh inning and then a go-ahead home run off of uh, David Robertson in the ninth. So he was one of just a handful of players in Mets history tending game-tying home run in the seventh inning or later of a game and another game-tying or go-ahead also in the seventh inning or later. 
And I love this list because, you know, that sounds like really incredible thing to happen. And then here we go with this list. Curtis Granderson, Scott Harrison, Todd Zeal, Robin Ventura, Willie Montanez, Jim Beauchamp, and Jerry Buchek. I have to admit, I had not heard of Jerry before I looked this up. So just a really fun list and a really crazy game uh, in Philadelphia on Sunday. Yeah, it really was a big win for the Mets. I wanted to ask you about that race. Uh, I had a conversation with someone with the Atlanta organization over the weekend. Basically, uh, my theory to him was is that the the Braves getting punched in the mouth in back to back series by the Mets, taking two out the Mets taking two out of three, and then four out of five. I said to him, I said that might have been the best thing that happened to your guys. Like they 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 maybe you know as defending champs. Maybe that's what they needed. If you imagine this being like the ninth round of a 15-weight heavyweight fight, uh, does that make sense to you? Absolutely. I mean, we saw how psyched uh, Dan B. Swanson was after the most recent series because they were told they got an ice cream machine if they won that series against Mets. But I really think motivation is a real thing. We saw this team come back. I mean, they were below 500 entering August last year, go on to win the World Series. I do think motivation and having something in front of them like that is a really proven way for any team, but definitely this team. And the Braves are so good. I mean, it's really fascinating to see. I mean, the spark they've gotten from Michael Harris II and Vaughn Grissom is just so, so awesome to see. Yeah, there's no doubt that the most watched first round series, you can book it right now, is going to be the second place team from the National League East. Right now, that would be the Braves. Uh, and, and that team will be the number one wild card seed against the number two wild card seed. At this moment, that would be the Padres. It could wind up being the Phillies. Maybe it'll wind up being the Brewers. But that series will be a huge series because I feel like right now, the Braves and the Mets might be the, you know, either the second, somewhere in the range of second best to fourth best team in baseball. The Mets and the Braves are two of the four best teams in baseball. You buying? Absolutely. I mean, the Braves, when they're on, are so, so good. And I feel like we're all hoping that those two teams meet in the postseason yep. and finally figure this out once and for all because that'll be really cool to see with all of the aces going to Grom, Scherzer, everyone. Yeah. A hundred percent. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. And thanks for filling in last week. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for that. I had so much fun with it. I really appreciate it. I think the most fun in Sunday's games were actually the interviews with some of the little leaguers. Uh, One of my favorites was with Jackson Maravich, a uh, player who's on team Canada He has a great personality. Give a listen. All right. We were talking about pace of play for pitchers. What do you think about that? Sorry. Buster. What do you think about that right there? That was incredible. I can do that too, though. (laughs) I feel like I can hit it over on the field. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, everyone. Bleacher Tweets for a Monday. And we got to lead off, Buster. What was the peak in the pit of your time off? 
Ah, uh, that is a that is a big question. <laughs> let's go. Let's keep it very surface level. Did you have? You know, I know that I you were doing a lot of in the water of, of Lake George. How about that? That sounds good. Uh, I, you know, the, the waters feel very healing here. There's no question about it. Uh, a lot of hikes, a lot of swims, a lot of cooking, and I definitely led the league in dishwashing. Wow. Wow. What about the pit? Did someone botch dinner? Maybe did you get some blisters from doing all Nobody that? Nobody botches dinner here. Okay. No, I you got to understand like, I mean, no, the dinner, the uh, meal cooking is perfect every night. It's like, a, it's like a well-run army. When you come here with my three <laughs> siblings and our extended families, uh, everybody takes a night to cook a meal. And by this point, this is like year 14 where we do this. Everyone's got it down. Uh-huh. It, it is pretty cool. And we have a job list which is mostly effective, uh, but that's uh, also well run. So I, I would say that I think by the, the third night, straight night when I did the dishes, that was getting a little bit of a pit. Okay, fair enough. Let's- dishes for 20 people is not something to be taken lightly. Oof. Well, I think you're the man for the job, if, if anyone there. I don't know your siblings, <laughs> but uh, a good question here from David at Baseball Fan 1918. He writes in, what has been your favorite part of visiting Williamsport in the Little League World Series? What was, was the highlight of what you played? Any other highlights you want to share from the weekend? Yeah, the highlights are watching the Little Leaguers with the Big Leaguers. Um, because on one hand, they, ha- they have these expressions where it's like they're in awe of these guys. And on the other hand... They also, they're 12, they're 11, they're 10. And so they, they ask questions. They do things that are like that. Like the, you know, the interview we did with Jackson was one example. Another one, I had a conversation with Rafael Devers, whose English is getting better, by the way. And thank goodness, because mm. my Spanish isn't caught up to his. <laughs> um, I asked him about a, his favorite conversation during the day. And he said that one of the le- little leaguers that walked up to him and said, Hey, you want to trade shoes? Cause he liked how <laughs> bright and colorful Rafi Devers shoes were. And Rafi had to explain to him, yeah, your shoes wouldn't fit on me. So I really can't make that trade here out on the tarmac. (laughs) Not quite fair. That is hilarious. Uh, Let's go to Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit. He writes in the Marlins where some people sleeper pick this year and have fallen off recently. What moves do they need to make offensively in the offseason in order to compete in a tough NL East? Add, you know, but it's funny. The Marlins are right back to where they were when Derek Jeter uh, initially was part of the group that bought the team. You remember at that time, they had a lineup that had Giancarlo Stanton, Christian Yelich, uh, JT Real Muto, uh, you know, on and on and on. They had this great lineup. And folks with other teams were saying, boy, if they added a little pitching, then that team could be really competitive. Well, now they have this really dangerous rotation with very few offensive weapons. And so now people are like, boy, if they add a few offensive weapons, but the question, Taylor, always with the Marlins, will they pay for it? Mm-hmm. And we know what the answer is probably going to be. <laughs> uh, PK Steinberg writes in, my 2022 hot take is that Starley Marte was a better offseason signing for the Mets than Max Scherzer. Sizzling. Are you buying that, uh, PK? I-, I think over the course of the regular season, yeah, because Max missed a lot of time. But as we potentially uh, project the Mets to be a team that could win the World Series, I think Max Scherzer is a bigger part of that than Starling Marte. You mm. backing me up, Taylor? Oh, absolutely. We've seen what Max Scherzer can do in the postseason, and that's he's invaluable uh, when you get well, to that he, point. If, if they advance deep in the postseason, it's going to be on the arms of DeGrom and Scherzer. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah, that's what it's all about. Uh, Eric E esoteric Eric zero writes in, Hey Buster, how much does a great defensive catcher who calls a great game and frames pitches well impact his team's pitching statistics over the course of a season? 
Yeah, and I'll get the exact numbers for you on another day, or maybe if we have a general manager on sometime this week or next week or a manager, they could put some numbers to it. But I don't think it's a coincidence that you saw the Houston Astros, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Mets all basically decide, you know what, we're going to go with the defensive catchers. You know, Wilson Contreras was out there in the marketplace. Somebody could have called the Cubs and made a deal. All those teams, and those are four of the, uh, you know, five elite teams in baseball, all deciding to value defense over offense in picking a catcher. And we got stack, stats take up next. Uh, this person writes in, as a depressed Tigers fan, do we move on from A.J. Hinch? No. Uh, look, A.J., you know, before he became a manager with the Astros, he was a, a very successful front office person. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if he has a lot of impact on – you know, whoever the Tigers pick to be their next general manager. I'll start speculation right here. I think Josh Burns, who now uh, works with the Dodgers, and in the past, general manager of the Padres and the Arizona Diamondbacks. He was someone who gave A.J. Hinch his first managerial job with the Diamondbacks. That's somebody to watch, I think, as the Tigers go through their managerial managerial uh, search. And, and let's face it, the, the team put together this year I definitely overestimated what they could do, uh, but it, it's not a very deep roster, and I think that was really exposed this year when they had some things go wrong. Last one for today. Buster, did you find out where Gunnar Henderson is and when he's going to be called up to the Orioles this weekend? He's been moving around, as you've been reading, mm-hmm. yep. uh, to different positions. First base, he played second base. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, I, I kind of wonder why he's not in the big leagues already, Taylor. Mm, it's a great question, Buster. Anytime now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm like watching this guy dominate in the minor leagues. Um, and and you can't tell me he's not one of the nine best position players in that organization. And, and it's going to be very interesting down the stretch because we spent a lot of the broadcast. I don't know how much of our broadcast you watched last night, Taylor, as an Orioles fan. We spent a lot of time talking about how well, how well this is gone. Mm-hmm. But I must say, if they finish one or two games out of the wild card, there's gonna there needs to be some revision over what happened at the trade deadline because mm-hmm. they chose not to add. They chose to trade away players. I still don't get that. What about you? Me too, man. I mean, like the offense is very up and down. You know, I know Trey Mancini isn't exactly tearing it up in Houston, but you know his bat would certainly be useful. And you know these these wins, their their starting pitching has been overperforming, but the these wins have been built on the back of the bullpen. So to take a guy out of the mix there, um, also a little bit questionable for well, my vantage point. And I know that he has, you know, Jorge Lopez hasn't done great for the Twins, mm-hmm. but man, I. I and I gotta say, I'm hearing from GMs with other teams like, why why did they trade? Like with the right. way that they were playing, how close they were, they didn't quite get it either. But uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. All right, that's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. Thanks, everyone. That's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Sarah, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Requires Gemini device and additional paid subscriptions to watch Netflix and other third-party apps. Terms and restrictions apply.